This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. Hi, my name is Sean Ray, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my flagship show, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Cosmic Potato is a show about film, TV, comics, games, and geek culture. Every episode, I get together with a few friends, and we talk about everything from Oscar nominees to Saturday morning cartoons. We have regular co-hosts located all across the country, including John, a graphic designer, Hi Chan, a writer, Rick, a teacher and podcaster, Christina, a clothing designer and avid cosplayer, and Anthony, a filmmaker. The show is available at CosmicPotato.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and many, many other podcast sources. So tune in and hopefully I'll talk to you as you're listening to the next episode of Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Fifty years ago, the world was introduced to the phenomenon that was Star Trek. Popular culture was changed forever, and eventually it became six television series and 13 motion pictures. People from all walks of life have been affected by it. Their lives have been affected by the lessons and the philosophies that they took away from it. This is the story of those fans. Interviews with individuals who love Star Trek and believe that their lives are better because of it. This is their prime direction. Hey everybody and welcome to The Prime Direction. My name is Sean and uh, my guest today is David C. Robertson from the DC On Screen Podcast. David, how are you today? I'm alright, how are you? I'm doing great, doing great. And, uh, we're going to get started here talking about a little bit about Star Trek. Uh, but before we start uh, talking about that, why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are and, and what you do now. Okay, um, at this point, primarily, I'm a podcaster. Uh, as you said, the host of DC on screen, um, where we re recap and review and do news for all the DC universe properties on film and television. Um, I'm also a YouTuber under the name of David Z. Robertson. Uh, I've got about 160, 170 videos. Um, I've written or had a hand in writing, um, the bulk of those, uh, sketches, comedy rants, and, uh, an almost totally improvised web series. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what's happening on that channel. Now I'm really kind of starting to get the itch to get back into that world um, of video production. Um, I've also been in broadcast radio and am, I'll say, a student of graphic design and art. Um, I'm into a lot of stuff creatively. Yeah. So. Well, where, where are you originally from? Montgomery, Alabama. Okay. And that's where you live now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, we're going to talk about your Star Trek fandom sp spanning your entire life. Okay. Well, how, how old are you now? I am 32. Well, why don't you tell me what your uh, your earliest memory of Star Trek is? We'll start there. Um, 
<laughs> it's always been there. <laughs> I I actually I don't think I have a memory of Discovery. It was um, I I was born in 1983. Star Trek was on every weeknight at least. Um, I think I remember seeing the call letters on the screen as WCOV, uh, which I think would make sense in those days. I've done research in the past and. That that's a uh, Fox affiliate station now, but back back in the day it was a CBS affiliate, and because they couldn't build their tower bigger, they lost their CBS affiliation to WAKA. So they were just running reruns all the time. Yeah. Um. So I, my earliest memory probably was around three. Um, and I remember asking my parents why Captain Kirk, uh, ha- sometimes had a fat stomach and sometimes he didn't. <laughs> And my my mom would always tell me that's not fat, it's muscle. Even though now she's like, yeah, it was fat. Um, <laughs> um I remember my mom reading to me before bed. Uh, she was big on that, uh, and she would get frustrated with me because I would uh, be fresh off of watching the episode of Star Trek that just aired, flying my hand around pretending it was the Enterprise. Yeah. So I remember that, and I I vividly remember when the Next Generation started. I do remember not being able to wrap my mind around that totally. Just <laughs> remember looking at like the back of a box of like Honey Nut Cheerios because they had like the Next Generation cast on the back, and I actually still have uh, stickers and the Enterprise D poster that you had to like send in box tops for. Mm-hmm. But I remember going, so wait, the bald guy is Kirk? <laughs> yeah. And my parents going, no, he's a totally different guy. And I'm like, okay, so. Worf, or the, the this guy can't be Spock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking uh, uh, when I heard that they were going to do the Next Generation. I was born in '77, so I was around mm-hmm. ten when when the Next Generation came out, and it was kind of a thing to to bring back old shows, but make it about the original characters' kids. You know, especially like in cartoons and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought that the Next Generation was going to be about their kids. And then I saw, you know, seeing Worf, I was like, well, whose kid is that? Because there's nobody on Star Trek that looks like that. And which one is Spock's kid? Is it like Spock Jr. and Kirk Jr. and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. 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 What was your uh, your life like, your surroundings while you were growing up? Did you have brothers and sisters and all that? Um, see, I had a sister that was three years younger than me. Um. And then in my teens, they they had an I got I had another sister come along, so uh, yeah, I, my um, my youngest sister is a huge Trekkie now. Like I warped her, with, for <laughs> lack of a better or worse term, into really getting into Star Trek. Um, the sister that's three years younger than me isn't really too much into it. Yeah, but um. I don't know. I I would say my my life was creatively nurturing. <laughs> okay. I, my mom encouraged me to pursue a lot of arting. Uh, sorry, art and writing and whatever else I was interested in. Yeah. And um, I was really into a lot of science fiction properties. So I was really into Silverhawks and Thundercats and uh, Batman, Ghostbusters, Star Trek, and Batman and Star Trek have been the things that really stuck with me. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So you said that Next Generation was not your your gateway into your fandom. So mm. um if you um as a as a small kid, 
what was it about the original series that, you know, did something for you? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's hard to say that TNG wasn't an influence because it was to some degree. Like that was the first, that was the first one I had toys from, you know? Um, I don't know, man. It was, it was, uh, the whole, the, the whole opening sequence, space, the final frontier, the new life, the new civilizations, the going boldly, space battles, uh, the romance of discovery, the promise of adventure, weird creatures, um, love Spock and Bones. They yeah. were funny. I didn't always get why Spock was raising an eyebrow at McCoy, but I knew by the music that McCoy had been funny somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it tasked me. It did. I, I wanted to understand it all. And also my right ear is pointed and they told me it was because I was half Vulcan. <laughs> so. so you said that you, uh, that you had toys. Uh, I did. Tell me a little bit about the, the, the kinds of toys that you had. Oh man. Um, well, <laughs> I still collect them. So yeah, yeah. I, I have a ton of stuff, but the first Star Trek toys I had were the next generation action figures that Galoob released. Um, and because I look back at old toys and stuff, I know that those were those were released in 1988. Um, I think I had a Picard, a Data, a Riker, a Worf, and a LaForge. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I know I had, and I don't know where some of those are. I think I still have the Picard. Um, I also had the Diecast Enterprise D that actually had the saucer separation. I don't oh, cool. know what happened to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, over the years, I've, you know, crewed a number of the playmates action figures like a ton of those the art asylum ships the diamond select stuff is it's, it's never ending <laughs> did you get into comics and novels and that kind of stuff oh absolutely yeah 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 the um the dc runs of star trek and star trek the next generation were like mother's milk like that's where I got into people like michael jan friedman and peter david who also went on to write novels and yeah uh, Jerome K. Moore's covers, man. <laughs> I, I would put those on my wall before some of the movie posters that some of the movie posters they've released. Like I've, I would rather have Jerome K. Moore artwork. Um, it's just hard to find decent sized prints of it. Um, and people forget. People think Kurt Swan and they think Superman, but he was on Star Trek books too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I was into all of that stuff. <laughs> What about the uh, the novel specifically? Which which do you remember any of the novels that you r- really like? Because I've said before that some of the Star Trek novels that I've read are not just great Star Trek novels; they're just good books. Especially the Absolutely. ones that uh, most of the ones that Peter David wrote. You know, I love mm-hmm. I love his writing. And uh, tell me about some of the ones that you that you remember. Well, the the first one I ever got was Renegade by Gene DeWeese. I got it when I was probably eight or nine years old. I could, I would try to get three chapters in. I'd fall off for a, for a while. And I thought it was me. I thought that I couldn't read a novel. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm, I'm not smart enough to read this novel. Uh, years later on AOL message boards, when we finally got the internet, when I was like 13 years old, I found out, oh, no, this is just universally reviled. <laughs> um, this specific, specific book. But, um, and I, I loved all the Diane Duane books, the Bloodwing titles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're actually in an omnibus now. Um, the Bloodwing Voyages, maybe. Um, 
but it was like uh, My Enemy, My Ally, The Romulan Way, Sword Hunt, um, Honor Blade. She's also written uh, Dark Mirror, the Next Generation. Yeah, I remember that, that one. Yeah, that's my for my money the Mirror Universe TNG episode that we never got and should have gotten. Yeah. Um. And uh, my friend Matt Carroll, who hosts the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we we were we grew up together. And he got me into the William Shatner, Judith, and Garfield Reeve Stevens books about Kirk's resurrection following generations. Yeah. Um, which, for all their plot contrivances, were actually pretty stellar. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, they were they were good books. I remember. I don't. I don't know if I read all of them because I think William Shatner actually wrote two different trilogies. And I know the first one was the one where. Uh, he came back to life. The Borg brought him back to life and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, um, this, I remember the writing being really good, but just so many coincidences having taken, having to take place in the story so that he could put characters together that he wanted, like, you know, having Spock and McCoy and Kirk all together at the same time. And they show up on deep space nine for a while and all that kind of stuff. So, right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That was those were the big problems, and I felt like it was. Uh, I don't know what happened there, and I, I wish I could figure that out because I know William Shatner has said he's never watched any of those other series. So I'm like, okay, well that's a Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens thing, though. But yeah. they're such good writers. How could they write such crap? Yeah. <laughs> like, but I enjoyed the books growing up, um, and also Michael Jane Freeman's crossover where Scotty and McCoy try to. Uh, get ambassador spock out of a romulan prisoner i think it was and, uh Sarek by ac crispin was heartbreaking yeah um so there's a lot of there and i love the behind the scenes of books like phase two the whole phase two book by judith and garfield reeve stevens um and all the autobiographies and stuff this is i i've got a ton of books man did you ever read any of the new frontier books I never got into those. Like I kept thinking I was going to, and I never quite got there. Yeah, it just to let listeners know, uh, Peter David and Pocket Books got together and put and made a uh, a Star Trek series that only takes place in the novels. It, there's mm-hmm. it, it's, it's it's like it's its own series, but it's only in novel form. Have their own characters, Captain Calhoun or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Playmates uh, even put out like a like an exclusive wizard uh, figure of Captain Calhoun. Yeah, and then they would have crossovers with uh, with other Star Trek properties. Like, mm-hmm. they did a series once that was like the Captain's Chair series where they had a series of novels, and each novel was a different captain telling mm-hmm. a story that may or may not have taken place during the run of the series. It may have been something from back before, you know, and they had one for... Janeway and Picard and Kirk and Sulu, and then they did one for Calhoun, mm-hmm. and so they always tried to bring those those New Frontier books over. I think I read two of those books. I think I read the first one, and maybe one or two after that. But they also grab they also had a habit of grabbing crew members from that that were like smaller deals, like just recurring people on TNG. Right? It wasn't like. Yeah, I think Commander um, Shelby was was a regular character in Robin there. Robin Leffler. Yeah. Yeah. And they even there was weird. one character from the <laughs> um there's one character from the animated series that that was the I can't remember her name, but she was like her 
she's an alien and she kind of looks like a cat. Imrus. Yeah, she was on the animated series and she's yeah. a regular character on in in New Frontier. Oh so. wow. Yeah. Talks about coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you feel like your Star Trek fandom was something that you could just be proud of or was it something that you felt like you had to hide or Hmm. You know, cuz sometimes we Sometimes when we go to school and 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 we're wearing Star Trek t-shirts and stuff, you know, other right. kids tend to target us. But, you know, sometimes you go to school and some kids went to school and everybody in their class was Star Trek fans. You know, it, it just it stories come and go. Well, you know, I, I went to a um, private Christian school for a while, so we had, like, like dress code, you know? Yeah, okay. Um, I always felt that, like, my life would be easier if I hit it. Yeah. But it was it was something I felt like I shouldn't hide. Um I sort of just kinda I guess forced myself to be proud of the things. Like I sort of like indignantly was a fan. Like I I've, I've never been the one uh been one of the people to dress up and go to conventions. <laughs> yeah. But, um I don't know. I watched enough television to know that kids pressured other kids into liking things that were considered cool like uh you know sports and cocaine so (laughs) i don't know in it was weird because in the late 80s and the 90s star trek was like hitting on all cylinders and was bigger than it ever been before um so much so that it wasn't until way way later that i actually started to do research and read books and learn that star trek was not a mainstream success um, that said, in school, you were really mercilessly made fun of for liking anything like this. Comic books, Star Trek. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of got a lot of crap for it. Yeah. Um, but something funny around that time, around the 93, 94 time frame, it was all around the same time. Superman was killed by Doomsday, Batman's back was broken by Bane, and Star Trek was going to be on a space station instead of a ship. Yeah. <laughs> So much for progress. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel uh, about Deep Space Nine when it started? When it started, they they continuously... Like, I was falling off of TNG pretty heavily because this was around... What was it? Around season five or six? It was six. I was the beginning of yeah. six, I believe, yeah. They were getting really into the notion of, well, we need to have more Troy episodes. Yeah. And it became like a will they won't they with with her and Riker and then she was with Worf for a minute and then like every other week it seemed like she was I don't know with some new whatever new alien was coming on board the ship that's how it seemed to me I've looked back at it and said well those elements are there but you know I was a kid so yeah. I was like why is it becoming a soap opera <laughs> and then here comes DS9 and they would put out these trailer or these advertisements for the pilot episode that's coming. I'm like, okay. And I remember talking to my friend Matt and I'm like, so what, what is this thing about? Is this, is that thing, the enterprise now? What is happening? What is going on? Do you know? And he was like, Oh, I don't think it's the enterprise. I'm I'm pretty sure it's it's, it's a different thing completely. So I remember uh, uh, watching the pilot episode and just not being on board. Just not, not doing it. Like no, nope, I don't know what this is. We're suddenly like Picard's a Borg again, not grasping easily the grasping the concept that it was uh, a flashback. Flashback, yeah. I, I think it was 
I didn't catch that because I didn't care. <laughs> I was like angry <laughs> that they were even doing anything different. Um, it wasn't until years later that I mean I still watched Generations and watched TNG on through its end. Um, it wasn't until years later that Matt again, dude from MCU cast, called me up and said, "Hey man, why aren't you watching DS9?" Worf just got on there. Things were going crazy. The The Dominion War is ramping up. Like, I think they're really building to something. you got to check this out. Yeah. Um, and if you don't like that, you can still watch Voyager because it's really a lot like TNG. So I jumped back in, and our station would play reruns afterward um, of the same shows. They'd play, like, the new DS9, the new Voyager, and then an old DS9 and an old Voyager. Okay, yeah. So I... Already had started had already started my Star Trek tape collection, VHS tapes. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think those got up to about 125 something like that before I fell off of taping them all. But I uh, went back and watched all of DS9 and Voyager before Voyager got sucked sucked out of syndication and thrown onto UPN where no one could get it. But um, yeah, DS9 became my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was wondering about that because yeah, I, I mean, my experience with DS Nine was similar at the beginning. I didn't, I don't know. When I watched the first episode, I just had a feeling that the show wasn't going to last, so I didn't really mm-hmm. latch on to it. And I guess about the time that Next Generation went off, because mm-hmm. at the end of season seven, you know, that was the end of end of that, and I still wanted to watch Star Trek every week, so. It just they started showing in in my market. They started showing Deep Space Nine in the mm-hmm. same time period that Next Generation had been the year before. So I just started watching it, starting with season three, mm-hmm. and uh, and fell in love with it. And mm-hmm. I think it's. Um, I mean, if you ask me which one of the series is my series, I I usually say the Next Generation just because it was the one that I fell in love with first. But right. really, I think Deep Space Nine is a better show. Oh, absolutely. From a writer's perspective, it's the best. Yeah. It's, and I love that it connects back to the original series so much. Yeah. Like, it's got, by far it has the most connective tissue to all of the different shows. Um, but I feel like, I, I, if you ask me what my favorite series is, I, I'm split on original series and DS9. But with DS9, I think they, DS9 complements the original series um it feels narratively more satisfactory uh the character development the relationships the story but um i mean tos is my childhood and is satisfactory in a comforting way yeah um but ds9 try even tries to go as (laughs) even after having such full and rich characters that they were like, well, well, where do we go now? Well, why don't we start, you know, building up some of the, <laughs> some of the recurring cast members. Mm-hmm. Some of those recur, like Lita, like Rom, those characters, those like, those just recurring cast members have more depth to them than most of the TNG characters. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. Um, but, not only were they doing that, they're wrapping stuff up from the original series. They're bringing in Kor, Kang, and Koloth, being friends with Dak, showing the showing me their stories, their you know their deaths, their uh, dissension into like dementia and stuff. Like 
hitting hitting me hard with that stuff bringing in you know showing me the, like the fallout from Khan and the augments with like bashir's genetic engineering mm-hmm. and of course trials and tribulations which is man is that not like the best star trek episode ever yeah that's one that you you just go back to over and over because i don't know i, I mean the special effects are I mean, they're dated because it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same special effects that they used in Forrest Gump, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it's just so much fun to see uh, Kirk talking to, you know, Chief O'Brien, you know, and or not actually talking to him, but they're standing in line and he's going back and forth, and and they're in the line <laughs> being being yelled at by the captain and all that, you know. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I love them just sitting in the bar arguing about who Kirk is. Yeah. I, I love I love the 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 line where they see the Klingons and somebody says, uh, you know, those Klingons over there or whatever, and, and Chief O'Brien just kind of looks at Worf and says, "Those are Klingons," you know? right, right? And Worf is just like, "Yeah, we don't want to talk about it." Which you know what that you know you guys like I, I've li- I went back and listened to every episode of Prime Direction. And you guys were kind of razzing Enterprise on giving Klingons the smooth heads. Yeah. And, you know, while the execution wasn't great, I actually liked the explanation that they were trying to use uh, human augment DNA to make themselves stronger because that would totally be, be dishonorable to them. Yeah. And it totally fits in with what, what Worf says about, like, hey, we, we, don't, we do not speak of it with outsiders. Yeah. Well, no, you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> well, I like yeah, I like that there is an explanation because for so long there was the only explanation was yeah we didn't decide we were going to do ridges until later, <laughs> you know. Which Gene Roddenberry went back and decided to change into like, well, I always wanted to do ridges, but we didn't have the budget. Right, well, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the weird thing you were mentioning the Deep Space Nine episode where um, they bring the three Klingons from the original series. And then all of a sudden they have ridges on their forehead, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but uh, I wanted to go back, back in time for a minute. Um, okay. We were talking about Deep Space Nine, but when you were a kid and you were watching the original series, you said that was your favorite series when you were uh, a kid. Were you into the movies at all? Okay, I didn't know that there were movies. Oh, really? Until after the Next Generation started, I think. Um, and I remember. Um, they used to play movies um, on Saturday afternoon. And uh, my dad is flipping through the channels, and I see the Enterprise, even though it doesn't really look much like the Enterprise. I was like, wait! <laughs> and it was just in time to see the Enterprise blown up. Oh, Star Trek Three. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, this must be the last episode. <laughs> And I convinced myself it was the last episode for years, like two or three years, until I realized, like, uh, a family member, I don't remember who, uh, gave me a tape, and it was of one of the movies. And I was like, okay, these are all, this is a series. And then, you know, it was off to the video store, and I found what they had, and just started collecting them over time as I could. Mm-hmm. Um but the original series movies, I feel like, are a great ending for that crew and gave it a lot of depth that it needed and uh, a lot of closure that it, ne- that it needed. Um, which is funny since the TNG films kind of did the opposite of that. 
<laughs> they stripped the characters of a lot of the development that they had built over the seven years. Right. Um, and failed to follow through on a lot of the stories that they should have been telling. Like, Guinan being an imp. Like, you remember Q saying, like, oh, man, you don't even know what she is. Uh, you have no idea, Captain, what she's is. She is just, she's an imp. And yeah. You're like, you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> and then she's just a, a listener. She just listens well. No. No, something's going. Should have Or the signal from conspiracy. Um, where everyone had been taken over by those aliens. Or the preservers. That Yeah. <laughs> Like, or Data growing in, uh, having his humanity, you know, like, he, they had a perfect reason for him to have, like, normal skin and insurrection when they came back, since most of his android skin was taken away and replaced with skin before the, in first contact, Mm -hmm. and then they came back, and he, they're like, oh, we took out his uh, emotion chip, and we, okay, so you've just regressed him, like, ten years. Okay, cool, thank you. Yeah, well, they didn't, they didn't, um take it out they just put like an on on off switch on it so he could he can activate it when he wants to right (laughs) so whenever the plot calls for it (laughs) we'll switch it back on yeah Uh yeah but yeah um yeah i uh i had for a while they stopped playing star trek when i was uh when around the time tng got really big they just started playing that every night Mm mm-hmm and they took off the original series, which broke my freaking heart, dude. Yeah. Um, and we would go to the video store, and I'd find like they'd had like they had like four, four or five of the original episodes on VHS, and I would rent them over and over again. <laughs> I um, hope they were the, uh, four of the good ones. <laughs> they, uh, I, I, rem- <laughs> I remember the Enemy Within was was one of them, and. Um, which isn't one of my favorites. Yeah. And uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, which That's is... That's not a bad one. It's just uh, so much different because it was a yeah. pilot, yeah. It is weird, but, you know, I can't... There's an indelible stamp in my head that says, Bow to me, Jim. <laughs> um, gosh, there... What was his, his name was James R. Kirk, I think, in the because they show his tombstone. Yeah, his, they were thinking Robert... James R. R. Kirk, yeah. Robert April, but... Yeah, I don't remember the others. There were a couple of others. Um, I want to say the empath was one of them, but I might be mistaken. It was so long ago. Um, and when I figured out how to hook up two VCRs, I got like two of them were left. <laughs> and yeah, that was the ones that I mentioned. So <laughs> those are the ones that I actually like, taped off. Yeah, so I could watch over and over again. So, uh. Two of the movies came out while the next generation was on the air. So Star mm-hmm. Trek Five and Star Trek Six both came out in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Did you go see those in theaters? I didn't know Star Trek Five was coming out. Oh, okay. I didn't even know it was a thing at that point uh, in nineteen eighty nine when that came out. I uh, okay. Well, you know, that was sort of a summer renowned for for blockbusters. I think you had Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You had I think Batman, Batman came out that year. Yeah, and Batman, Ghostbusters too. Ghostbusters too. Yeah. Absolutely. Star Trek got buried. Um, so I never even knew that existed. Yeah. Um, and I was, as I mentioned earlier, really into Ghostbusters and Batman. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. You and know, Star Trek finds God. I didn't. Yeah, sorry. I was about it. to say Star Trek Five. If if there was one to miss, that was probably the one. <laughs> you know, people say that, and I kind of disagree. Like some of, like I don't know of a Star Trek movie that's closer to the original series. 
in tone and in execution, honestly. <laughs> like bad special effects. Yeah. There uh, were things yeah. there were things that I liked. I liked the very beginning of it when Kirk and Spock mm-hmm. and McCoy are camping and all that kind of stuff. And then there's there's stuff that I didn't like because it sounded like they they stole some of Star Wars uh, sound effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, you know what does God need with the starship? You know, <laughs> I actually liked that line. Really, <laughs> um, like the what I didn't like was like the ham fisted humor, like with uh, Chekhov and uh, Sulu uh, being lost, and then. The, we are experiencing terrible winds and like why would you not know that Uhura could look at the scanner and go nope you're lying it's sunny yeah outside <laughs> like the stupid the stupid humor like be one with the horse captain eh. yeah eh. they Uhura's were her fan dance too is <laughs> oh man that's rough yeah that's rough you're you're about 20 years too late sweetie <laughs> um <laughs> but it, I I don't know. I, I like the idea of Spock having a half brother who rejected the Vulcan ways, and I really like the idea of him searching for for God. That's an interesting idea, and God, or not even necessarily God per se, but this creature being an alien pretending to be God. And of course, Kirk would say, "What would God need with a starship?" Yeah, of course he would, uh, and of course he'd get blasted and. Just everything that Kirk says, everything that Spock says, and everything McCoy says. I doubt any god who inflicts pain for his own pleasure. It was all that was all pitch perfect. Um, the jokey crap leading up to it was the problem, <laughs> and you know the million decks in the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they they got some of the ideas for that film from a script that Gene Roddenberry wrote years before that was. I don't. I think he was intending it to be an episode of Star Trek Phase Two, mm-hmm. and you know, it never happened. But the Enterprise was supposed to meet Jesus, and yeah, yeah and it was. It was. I mean, obviously, not really Jesus. It was going to be an alien that just looked mm-hmm. like Jesus, and he had all these powers. And then Kirk was going to fight with him. You know? <laughs> right. So you know, Kirk versus Deep Space Jesus, and and they. Uh, Right, and they kind of took some of those ideas and put them into into Star Trek Five, so that they could get yeah. the the religious aspect of it. But, I remember reading about uh, the Jesus script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I mean, if you thought that anything that Star Trek had done that was weird, that would have been that would have been the weirdest thing. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure I could pull something. <laughs> so, what about Star Trek Six? Star Trek Six is my favorite of the Star Trek films, and I didn't get to go see it in the theater. I really wanted to. The first one I saw in the theater was Generations. Um, for whatever reason, um, nah, I don't. I guess no one wanted to take me to see Star Trek Six. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I remember seeing the commercials for it and being like, "And there's an Enterprise, and then there's another Enterprise, and it looks cooler, and then they're like firing on this Klingon." And <laughs> but yeah, that's. Um, that that is my favorite Star Trek movie to this day. Well, when uh, when Next Generation went off the air, we knew there was a movie that was going to be coming in you know six months time or or, or something like that. But mm-hmm. how did you feel about the show ending, and how did you feel about the finale? Um, the finale bothered me really, and a lot of people liked the finale, and I liked it just fine, save for the fact that. Um, data didn't age in the future 
Yeah. Hey, I think um, he had a gray streak or something like that. Yeah, he put it a gray streak to add distinction, but his house his housemate or whatever she was, she thought it made him look like a skunk. Right. Um, but I was like, why would you need to add distinction? You have an aging chip. You talked about it like three or four episodes ago in the episode of Heredity where you meet your android mother. Yeah. And LaForge says she has a, an aging chip like you do. Um, so that bothered me. And I was getting to the age where I was picking out continuity errors like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was really starting to weigh on me. with Because I was like, how are you not paying attention to this stuff, guys? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and it was, the, the finale was written by the same two guys who wrote Generations. And they had to write it at the same time. It was um, Brandon Braga and uh, Ronald, Ronald D. Moore, who right. went on to do a bunch of DS9 and then Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, we all know what Brandon Braga went on to do. Enterprise. Thank you, Brandon. But <laughs> thank you for Voyager 2 and casting every one of your girlfriends. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I, I love Ronald D. Moore as a writer. Um, but, you know, they, they, made, they put him on, you know, ending the next generation and starting the next generation at the same time as yeah. far as film franchises, which is unfair. But um, I think they both had flaws. I loved the, like, I still get, like, a little weepy thinking about Picard coming into the poker game and looking up and saying, I should have done this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Like, I still like, oh, no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should have Picard. They would have welcomed you. You were welcome anytime, Captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and for all of us, for all of us, plot flaws. Like, why wouldn't Picard go back in time and save his nephew? Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, for all of his flaws, dude, I still roll a tear when when Kirk dies. Like, I don't care. Like, he was doing what he, you know, he was saving some people we didn't see. And yeah, that's that's an issue with the writing. We didn't care. And he, and then a, it was a bridge instead. Yeah, okay. But he still died. I don't. I didn't need to see him die. Yeah. But it hit me when I was a kid, and I was glad Picard was there. And um, I had a friend who was like, well, no, I mean, well, that just makes Star Trek V invalid still, even more invalid. And I was like, why? Because Kirk said he knows he'll always die alone. Well, he didn't die alone. He died with Picard. I said, but he didn't die with Spock and McCoy. Right. He did die alone. He didn't know Picard from Adam. He just met him, yeah. (laughs) So to me... He did die. That meant he did die alone. And I kind of like that he fell off a mountain, given Star Trek V and that conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plus, it's fun to say bridge on the captain. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Elements of Generations was, was really good. Malcolm McDowell was really good. I, it's, at one point in my life, I pretty much memorized every bit of his dialogue from that movie. But... um yeah, it was. There were things to to mourn not having in that movie. Yeah, I remember really liking the movie when I saw it, mm-hmm. and and I can still watch it now and get some enjoyment out of it. Just because I mean, it's still Star Trek, you know. But mm-hmm. I feel like they tried to put too much in one movie. They tried to fit Data's emotions in the movie. They tried to fit the destruction of the Enterprise. The death of Kirk, you know, Picard kind of dealing with his 
mortality and mm-hmm. and, and all. They trying to put all that in the first movie that they made. You know, mm-hmm. I I think that if they had to slow down a little bit and just picked a couple of those things, that it probably would have ended up being a better movie. Well, it's only after you know going back that I realized, like, oh yeah, dude, like, Chekhov and Scotty were totally just locking bones. Yeah, yeah, and but when I was like, my only issue with that when I was when I was a kid is like, dude, how would Scotty have seen Kirk die and then think that he was he pulled the Enterprise out of mothballs and relics to come get him? Yeah, that's the that's the one thing that people they they always say that, and then they always <laughs> try to. Uh, try to explain it away with the fact that well he'd been in that pattern buffer for 75 years so his mind yeah. was a little bit scrambled when he came uh, out or something and i'm like willing that. to accept that yeah. or um i think in the michael jane freeman uh book crossover he actually does say that like um scotty never believed that kirk was dead um, yeah so well he'd seen he, him cheat dead so many times yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right um, I think a lot of generations is strong. I think the whole like aside from them having like a gigantic chip that's big and blocky, when then the show is a tiny little round thing. Yeah. Um, aside from the chip looking so stupid, I think Data had a really strong arc in this movie. I think um, everyone got their due in ways that uh, subsequent Star Trek Next Generation movies would not uh, give them. Uh, Crusher being thrown off of the off of the ship, and you know, she didn't have like a huge character arc. But when did she? A, yeah. a couple of times in the show, and those were the bor- most boring episodes. So, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we Worf got a promotion. Uh, that was fun. Riker was as fun as he ever is. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Data has a good arc. Jordy has a pretty good arc even though you kind of wonder like what was the point of that yeah it's it's like the back and forth between Sor- the the klingon ship and the planet the capture of Geordi and picard's decision making when it comes to the nexus when he goes back in time like at which point does he go back in time and why does he need kirk to help stop soren why does it have to be kirk it's those things those things are the are the big sticking points that are like why is this but it's like Kirk's arc is depressing and perfect. He's in retirement. He hates his life. He gets sucked into Nexus and suddenly he's out chopping wood. He's like, no, this time I'm going to do things right. That's heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the realization, like every time I've ever jumped that I was afraid except for this time because it isn't real. Um, Shatner actually did a really good job, I think, with it too. So it's a fundamentally flawed movie, but uh, you know, I still enjoy it. <laughs> did, did the do you feel like the movies got better after that? I mean, what how'd you feel about uh, First Contact? First Contact was better, but it was, and again, I think that was, it was I believe that was uh, Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore um, again. I didn't like the, uh, oh, suddenly he can hear Borg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wasn't a huge fan. I was okay with it for one movie, saying, okay, Picard can be a you know an action hero. He's basically John McClane. He's got the tank top. He's wearing the wife beater, running around with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> cool. He's got to go save Data. 
I was okay with it for that. And I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And the board queen is his person to deal with. When they did the exact same formula in the next two movies, I was done. Yeah. Like when I saw it in Insurrection, I went, oh, we're in trouble. And then Nemesis was just dumpster fire. Even I enjoy elements of it, but it was bad. They just ripped as much as they could from Star Trek two and three. Um, as far as, uh, you know, story elements and shots and, uh, to absent friends and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think that one of the things that those four movies failed at was assuming that Picard had to be Picard and data had to be the center of every story. Mm-hmm. And I understand it's going to be hard to get Patrick Stewart to come and do a movie unless he's the star, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, but, um, the series works because Picard's not necessarily the main character in every episode. Right. And, you know, Deep Space Nine did that a lot. I mean, there was episodes of Deep Space Nine where Cisco only showed up for one scene, mm-hmm. you know, but when the, when it comes to making movies, you have to have this hierarchy and so every yeah. movie has to be about Picard. Every movie has to be about Data, and everybody else is just secondary. If mm-hmm. we had had, you know, a Wharf movie, or you know, I don't know if I don't think a Beverly Crusher movie would be all that great, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it yeah, would be different. Either. You know, it would be something something different. Absolutely. I um, hmm. I wish they had. See, like to me, the biggest. Like, all of those things I mentioned earlier, like Guinan being an imp and, and the signals from conspiracy and the preservers, and those three things could have been movies all under their own. I didn't want another Q thing because I felt like Q was wrapped up perfectly in all good things. Like, he came back in the same role he was in in the first episode and said, you didn't think, you didn't think the trial was over. Yeah. Oh, we're still looking at you guys. That was perfect. I never needed to see Q again after that, and turns out I was right. Um, thanks Voyager. Yeah. But, (laughs) (laughs) um, I don't know. Like, I felt like there were big story elements from the original, I'm sorry, sorry, from the next generation that there, there were stories that weren't wrapped up at all and never got wrapped up. Yeah. And I felt like they were big stories and they should have been wrapped up in movies and they just weren't. Right. So I didn't need a Picard clone or a man who can stretch his face with things. <laughs> I'm like, just join the Federation and they'll fix your face, dude. Like McCoy did this in like half an hour with Kirk. He just changed him into a Romulan. What about the dude, uh, Arn Darvin? A hundred years ago, he went from looking like a Klingon to a human. We can fix your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, the those two movies, uh, Insurrection and uh, Nemesis, are. I mean, it's obvious that those movies were made by people that were good at making movies, but not necessarily Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. You know, so if they had been Star Trek fans, then they would have made a Star Trek movie, but they weren't, so they just made a science fiction movie. Well, I you know, um, Insurrection was written by Michael Pillar. And, you know, I, like, he was the head of the writer's room on TNG. Um, but that movie was plagued. Like, um, they actually unofficially released 
a download of a book that he was writing called Fade In about uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Yeah. And I was one of the people who, who grabbed it before Pillar's family, because Pillar died of uh, cancer, I think, a few years ago. Um, his family shut it down. Um, but, yeah, that was... It was plagued with, with production problems, people, like, rewrites. Like, they... It was the movie was more going to be about Picard and Admiral Forrest um, as young men bucking the oncoming trend of um, of um, I don't know what you would call it TNG evolution where like the people were all like cardboard cutouts and didn't have any conflict yeah and they were seeing a certain uh, push in in Starfleet and in the Federation. Um, like it, it was very heavily, it was very heavily political, and it really was about an insurrection. Um, it it, it was a much more interesting concept at the very least. Yeah. It, um, and you know what's funny is insurrection is really there's an uh gosh what was the episode of the original series where they go down to the planet and this captain has has gone native. And decided that the Federation is impeding upon so, uh, the territory. Was it Assignment Earth? No, nah, it wasn't Assignment Earth. I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> now I don't. I'm blanking on it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, there's an episode of the original series where they basically just made the hero the bad guy from the original series. Like Picard is just falls into that spot mm-hmm. in insurrection. So now they've just played the flip card on it, and you're like, okay, well, Kirk was against this. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess I'll be for this now. I don't know. Um, the original. I, I remember. I, re- I wish I could remember the original plot and everything, but it was, I think, way more interesting. Um, but Berman, especially, was not a uh, a great thinker in 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 the terms of science fiction. He has really no creativity at all, and I'm thankful that he moved on to Voyager. So he wouldn't be messing up uh, Deep Space Nine as much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> leave that to Steven and I, Ribera to, yeah. to, to do well. How did you feel about the end of Deep Space Nine? Um, honestly, I, in a way, I kind of wanted to see, because they, they kind of thought they were... You remember the uh, the Pa Wraiths? Yeah. And uh, like Cisco thought he was Benny from, what was it, the 1940s? Yeah. Um, there was apparently they did play with the idea that they were going to end it like that, like they were going to end it with him like selling it to some, selling the idea of Star Trek to Gene Roddenberry or something, <laughs> <laughs> um, and decided like no, we can't do that. Um, I kind of would have wanted to see that just to see how it, how it looked, but um, I don't know. I was sad that they ended it kind of on a cliffhanger on purpose. Like I didn't want Cisco to be gone. Um. And aside from Worf's strange uh, remembrance of only Esri, right? <laughs> um, I thought it was a pretty good ending to DS Nine. I, I even with the Cisco thing, like him telling her, "Maybe I'll be back in a year. Maybe I'll be back yesterday." Like, oh, that's so good. That's yeah. a good line. And I was kind of like the way I would have done the whole temporal cold war thing on enterprise is I would have fixed it with bringing in Cisco. Yeah. Like Cisco just cool. shows up to help stop it. Like that was the, 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 his final mission 
you know, and then he could go back to his family. That would have been awesome. Yeah. And then like actually watch like the time ripple, see the see the costumes and stuff become a little more TOS. But whatever, <laughs> I'm not a, I, I'm not writing the show. I didn't write the show. So. Have you read any of the novels that came out after the end of Deep Space Nine? Because they they've kind of they've done some novels that have sort of continued the story mm-hmm. after the finale. And I, mean, I read one or two of them. I haven't read the whole series, but. I think I I got I bought a couple of them, and then I looked up and there were like fifty more, and I was like, oh man. Yeah, it's not something I I think I'll <laughs> ever be able to catch up with, but they yeah. that I mean they've got Kira is pretty much the I think there's two or three characters from Deep Space Nine the series that are still in the books. I think you've mm-hmm. got Kira and uh, maybe O'Brien. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember who. Maybe Ezri. I don't know. But because um, Odo went on to the Great Link and Cisco is gone. and Oh, Odo and the Great Link. That yeah. broke my heart, man. <laughs> I was like, don't go. Yeah. Don't leave her. Uh- <laughs> I've been doing a rewatch of Deep Space Nine, and I had forgotten how early in the series they introduce the founders and the Great Link. Because it's season, mm-hmm. season, end of season two, beginning of season three, I think. And yeah. I thought it was much later in the show that it had happened, but yeah, I when I I did a rewatch a few years ago, I guess it was eh, I don't even know. I don't want to say how long ago. I don't know, but <laughs> I I had similar like oh wow they're breaking out of Jemadar in season two. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't remember that. Um, by the way, worst DS Nine episode ever is the one where Bashir gets possessed by that alien and steals that ship or that <laughs> shuttle or whatever it was like i don't know what they told him to do or why they told him to do it that way but it was awful i think the worst episode of deep space nine is if wishes were horses i don't know if you remember that one that's the one oh, that rumple stiltskin abso- was in <laughs> i absolutely remember that one yeah. and i will watch that one a hundred times before i watch that B- B- bashir possession episode <laughs> <laughs> um I, you've kind of hinted how you felt how you felt about Voyager and Enterprise, but I wanted to touch on that real fast. Uh, did, you said that Voyager had been on for a while before you started watching it. So Voyager was on for about three years before I got into it, and then they took it off. So Voyager, I got in drips and drabs. Like I had caught up on some of the first three seasons uh, through reruns, and then they took Voyager off completely and went to UPN and we didn't have UPN. Um and then I think the next year my aunt got UPN and she would bring me intermittently bring me recordings of Voyager and I didn't know what was going on. Like <laughs> I was like okay, I don't know who this 7 of 9 character is because and it killed me, but Scorpion Part 1 was the last one I watched in sequence. And then it was, I was like, oh man, they're going into Borg space. Yeah. And, oh, this is, oh man, Janeway made a deal with the devil. What's going to happen? And, and then I never found out. Yeah. <laughs> I did find out. I did go back and rewatch it all once I got DVDs and stuff. But, um, when I came back, I was just like, oh, well, I don't know what's really happening. Kess is gone. There's a seven of nine person. And, and then like, I never really watched him in sequence. But when I did, 
I was like, oh, okay, it wasn't just that. It was just that the show was bad. That's why I didn't really care. <laughs> I think that uh, I, I missed out on some of Voyager myself. I, I watched it pretty religiously for the first five seasons or so. Mm-hmm. And then I got married in 2000 and had a kid. And just the time of day that it came on, because it was before we had DVRs, you mm-hmm. know, the time of day that it came on was just terrible. You know, I could I, I could never sit down and watch TV at that time. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't, I, I missed out on the last uh, couple of seasons. I did watch the finale when it aired. Of course, there were things happening that I didn't really understand because I'd missed out. Yeah. But I was. I think Voyager got better when he, they started bringing in Barkley. <laughs> like i actually like always liked barkley and now i like the idea of him trying to get them home um one thing that like when i rewatched all of voyager one thing that really bothered me is like every episode because i i have to do it this way like i watched all of tos again i watched all of tng all of ds9 and then went on to voyager and as i was watching voyager i'm like you know what every couple episodes of tng they're going to another space dock for repair they're going back to another. Like Picard says it. He's like, "We're on our way to Starbase three seven to eight for repairs." I'm right. Like, okay. Like, why does Voyager still look the same after all these years? <laughs> like, you guys haven't even had. Bolana mentions a couple of times, like, "Oh, the blah blah blah." Even the the alien technology isn't meshing with the Federation technology. We're trying to get the okay. Show that to me a little bit. Yeah. Let's lose a cell. Replace it with some kind of other. Pro- you know, propulsion device. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy, but <laughs> you know, uh, millions of shuttles <laughs> or however many shuttles, crew members, all of that, um, that they just always had. I don't know how they had it because they actually did list all of those things in the pilot of how many they had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, one like, thing they have like they, 150 crew members and like three shuttles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they maybe they were replicating them. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess but I don't know. The one thing that they introduced in that series was uh, the the idea of the Doctor, the holographic projection Doctor, mm-hmm. and he wasn't designed to be left on all the time. But they didn't have a Doctor, so they had to. And so, of course, he grows. He's he's that series version of Data. You know, he mm-hmm. kind of grows in his humanity over over time. Oh, they had two Datas on that show: Seven of Nine and the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they um they insinuated. I think they may have shown it a couple of times that they have holograms for different types of jobs. So you can have a emergency commander hologram. You can have an emergency engineer hologram and they all look like robert picardo just wearing different colored you know uniforms Mm -hmm. so i always wondered and i knew they wouldn't be able to do it on voyager because voyager is off by itself it's like what if they ran into a ship where the entire crew had been killed and the entire crew was replaced by copies of robert picardo doing all these different jobs (laughs) (laughs) unless that was a top tier like federation vessel that had a lot of like classified information stored aboard yeah i don't think they would bother <laughs> probably not. Like, well that ship's probably gone if all the crew members have been killed eh. so voyager went off the air and that at the end of voyager it was the first time in probably 10 years that we didn't have two different star trek series on the air at the same time mm-hmm. you know and then um 
Enterprise started the next fall. Yeah. Did, were you watching the Enterprise from the beginning, or, or did you come into it later? Yeah, by the end of Voyager, I had UPN. Yeah. Um, so I could watch at will. And um, absolutely. Like, I mostly liked the Voyager ending. Um, I'll never forget a Jay Leno joke. It was one of the few Jay Leno jokes that I actually liked. Um, where he says, uh, tonight, a Star Trek, the crew of the Star Trek Voyager, or a Star- Starship Voyager returned home to find that no one was watching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, I was absolutely on board for Enterprise. Um, I loved how they were shooting it in widescreen. It looked cinematic. It looked more expensive than than Voyager had. Uh, and I was hopeful that when they were talking about because I you know I subscribed to Star Trek Communicator and Star Trek Magazine and I would read these interviews with with Rick Berman and they're like oh he's going we're going for a more contemporary feel we're going to be using like rock music instead of like you know orchestral music and I was yeah. like eh, okay that might be a kick in the pants, okay? Because I was tired of Voyager. Like, okay. Um, because you know, my my issue with Voyager, you know, was not that it was a female captain or anything ridiculous like that. It was just that it was a rehash of TNG when it should have been something else. It had way more potential than that. Mm-hmm. Um, to be away from the Federation, to really show how a Federation crew scraps together. I mean, there should have been more. Uh, Issues between the Starfleet crew and the Maquis crew. Yeah, that was but kind they, of abandoned in the first season. Yeah, uh, they like, kind of yeah they quit, they quit even uh, talking about the Maquis. <laughs> it was like episode three. Chakotay hit a dude and was like, "No, we're Starfleet now." And he was like, "Yes, sir. Thank you, sir." And we're like, "Moving on." <laughs> so you know that I had issues with all that, and uh, but here Enterprise, like I love Scott Bakula. Yeah. Um, you know, I loved Quantum Leap back in the day, so I'm like, yes, okay, let's see what that what what happens here. Um, looks better. They're like, and they're catching up to. I, I there are at this point catching up to things like Twenty Four, like, like okay, look, I understand people like their Star Trek the way they like their Star Trek, but Star Trek hasn't changed since TNG. Yeah, not really. Like the format. I mean, DS Nine was a huge departure. In storytelling, it was a way a way ahead of its time as far as being serialized, mm-hmm. but the pacing needs to change. The pacing needs to to be updated. Um, and for some reason, I felt like the the Berman Star Trek series had issues catching up with what TV was doing, um, with, with what popular television was doing. So when I saw Enterprise, I was like, "Oh my gosh, they're going to do it." And they kind of did, but you could just tell it was like an old white dude in charge of the music because, like, yeah. you're like, he's like, it's gonna be rock music. Yeah, it was like Phil and, Collins rock music. Or and I'm yeah. like, you're not even playing the good, the kind of good Rod Stewart version of this song. Yeah, <laughs> you've got this other version. Yeah, and why are you not calling it Star Trek? Why are you like that? That's your selling point, not Enterprise. Enterprise yeah. isn't. Um, but, I, you know, I, I was happy when they brought back Star Trek into the title, but it wasn't that big of a deal 
It was I the first couple of seasons were pretty good and had some uh I don't know, they had some strong episodes and some weak episodes, as, as every show does, but it was a little more pronounced on the weak episodes. And I was like, What are we doing here? I'm really interested in this temporal war thing. I hope it's a you know, I hope it's a Romulan. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um you know what are you have you seen firefly oh yeah firefly when when they said that they were going to go 100 150 years or whatever it was before kirk that's firefly is what i envisioned yeah not holy yeah but that was like man yes we're gonna be roughing it it's gonna be like people in like a broken down ship it's the start of the of the of the of Starfleet, you know, stretching out into the unknown. What are we gonna find? This is gonna be crazy, and uh, and no, it wasn't. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it's kind of Star Trekky, <laughs> more so than I thought it would be, but like current day Star Trekky, okay. And then Firefly came out, and I was like, this is what I wanted. Yeah. I didn't, um, <laughs> and then it lasted 14 episodes and got canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I've watched it a million times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but I liked Enterprise, especially when it got into the Zindi. And then uh, when, uh, what was his name? Um, Manny Cotto yeah. came over to, uh, to an EP position on the show. And then season four was my favorite where we have, you know, through a mirror darkly, we have them on the old defiant from, from, uh, Tholian web. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, we got to meet to We got to go back and, and meet and, uh, hang out with Surak for a minute. And like all of that stuff was just solid work. And I think connected. Was that the season that, that they brought in, uh, that Brent Spiner came in? Yeah, as and did a, yeah, he did yeah. A, a trilogy, I think a trilogy of episodes. Yeah, that was when they <clears throat> fixed the uh the Klingon problem. Yeah. And yeah, they they just tied a bu- and you know, though looking back, the Klingon those Klingon episodes were the probably the weakest aside from the series finale, were the weakest of the season. But I was like, man, it's getting good. And then it's canceled. Yeah. It broke my heart. I actually liked Enterprise a lot. Yeah, Star Trek Enterprise really didn't have a finale. They had an episode of TNG. <laughs> yeah. And called it a finale. <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah. And, like, they didn't remember how they, like, guys, you used to dress up to go to the holodeck. They don't just holodeck clothes on you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which they did kind of in first contact, but not at that point. Not at uh, the Pegasus. And also, are we just ignoring the fact that Troy has lost a ton of weight since the Pegasus and Riker has gained, gained a ton it. of weight? <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're like, just, they're just like clearly just way too old and weird looking. Like, they're not. They're not that the was same. probably the weirdest part of it because I, <laughs> I, I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to, to, to bring in the next generation and, and, and all of that. But why place it in that episode about the Pegasus, why wouldn't you just make it later, post-Nemesis? Mm-hmm. Because Riker and Troy are supposed to be married anyway. Absolutely. After Nemesis, so 
obviously they would be together so why don't you just do something there but i don't know yeah <laughs> they didn't ask I, me but <laughs> well yeah i mean they wanted to uh they've said like oh it's a love letter to the fans we have you know picard in there we have kirk's voice in there we have data's voice in there and i'm like man we didn't want that we wanted enterprise to have a finale yeah and i don't mind i would not have minded at all um I want first of all I wanted to hear I wanted to hear uh Archer's speech his big federation forming speech mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I wanted it to be familiar I wanted to have key phrases that that we know from something I'm not really sure what but something and I was perfectly fine with it fading out into space the final frontier and then like having like the the montage of different ships with different captains speaking over it going through that was beautiful that still even after the crap that was that final episode that still made me cry i was like oh star trek's going away after 18 years (laughs) um but yeah i I don't know yeah and the (laughs) the only other thing i i didn't understand why why do you have to name the ship the enterprise Mm -hmm. because We've seen, I think Picard had models in his uh, in his ready room of mm-hmm. every ship that had been called the Enterprise, and that ship wasn't there. <laughs> you know, he, he had he had models of, I think most every ship that was a Federation Enterprise. Okay, I could see that, but that, you could still fit it. Like yeah. just like people kept bringing up uh, the motion picture and being like. It, the NX-01 wasn't on that picture that Decker showed Ilea. You know how many ships have been called Enterprise? They just grabbed some. Yeah. <laughs> like, so many ships have been called Enterprise by that point. It's okay. We can slip one in, and it'll be fine. But, you know, eh. Yeah, I, just, I, I they, see they, their point. They, just... couldn't, they, could, they didn't feel like they could do another Star Trek. They had already done Star Trek Voyager, and they mm-hmm. didn't feel like they could do another Star Trek series without the ship being called the Enterprise, I guess. But yeah. I would have been fine with it. Don't. It's just that they wanted to leave Star Trek off the title. They just wanted mm-hmm. to call it Enterprise, so they thought Enterprise would be recognizable to Star Trek fans. Well, you know what else would be recognizable to Star Trek fans? Star Trek. <laughs> you yeah. know? So just call it that. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, that was... I don't know if I want to commend them for their bravery or just... <laughs> condemn them for the their stupidity um i don't know and they were like well i mean enterprise nothing says star trek like enterprise well except enterprise yeah. i mean it said star trek <laughs> yeah. uh not uh, i mean fine okay whatever i can deal with it uh, i don't it's not a big deal yeah um of course star trek fans have been saying that or certain ones have been saying that for years so it's not a big deal it's not a big deal and then you look at all the little little deals and go oh they make up a lot of big deals <laughs> so, yeah. Well, how do you feel about where Star Trek has gone since then? Because we went after Enterprise went off the air in '05, mm-hmm. we went about four years before the rebooted uh, film came out in in '09. So, how do you feel about those movies? Um, I feel like a lot of the weight that is given the characters and their titles has been stripped of them. Like, um, 
when you look back at like court martial, for instance, and you have Kirk sitting there and uh, his his lawyer puts in the little card or whatever, and it starts the little chip or whatever it was, little tape. Yeah, and it starts reading off all of the all of his commendations, like every you know everywhere he's been, all of all of the medals and stuff. You have all of that, his entire career leading up to his captaincy, and the judge is like, "Turn that off." We get the point. He's like, "No, sir, I don't think you do. We have to keep playing this because this is a char- this is a trial about character." Yeah, <laughs> we don't have that anywhere here, <laughs> and maybe that's. That's fine because it's uh, we're we're going back to the beginning and trying to build the Kirk character from scratch in this new universe, and I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, I'm fine with I'm fine with explosions. I'm fine with fast paced stuff. I don't I don't that doesn't bother me. I've been thinking Star Trek needed to push more in that direction anyway. I just didn't want them to get rid of everything else. Yeah, and I think they kind of did for a while. Um, this new movie though was solid. Yeah. It was Star Trek Beyond was perfectly solid, and my thanks to Simon Pegg for making that happen. Yeah, um, but I didn't like that Kirk got the captaincy so quickly. I didn't like that they let him ha- keep it. <laughs> <laughs> I was fine with the Kobayashi Maru scene for the most part. I felt like it should have been more of a. I don't. I'm not. I'm. He was too obvious with his cheating. Um. But yeah, well, it was it was fine and kind of fun. Um, I've been disappointed with the, these movies, but I think they're better than the TNG movies. <laughs> like Into Darkness was a dumpster fire, but Into Darkness had—I mean, there there were things about it that I liked, and there was a lot of stuff that I had problems with. And I—I uh, I mean, I've talked about it before on the show, but. My main problem with Into Darkness was not the fact that Khan was in the was in the movie. Right. I was kind of expecting it because, you know, even though J.J. Abrams lied through his teeth and said it's not Khan, you know, I was kind of mm. expecting it to be Khan. My problem was the reverse Spock Kirk death scene at the end yeah. because you've got these two characters from Star Trek II that have been working together for over 15 years they've 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 Mm -hmm. been together on the ship for 15 years they've known each other probably a little longer than that yeah and they're basically brothers Uh and then spock dies and it's a very emotional scene well in into darkness you've got two characters that have known each other for a couple of years yeah and kirk dies and it's supposed to elicit the same emotion Mm-hmm. They're trying to manipulate me to give the same emotion that I got in Star Trek Two, and it just it didn't work. It just felt like they yeah. were copying something that they should have left alone. Yeah, so. and they were just it was like there are other issues like and you know with Enterprise with with any of these movies like my issue is never like when they're like oh no like look, oh of course Star Trek was supposed to be progressive but look at these half naked women okay. <laughs> Go back to the original series. Just remember that that was the thing. Oh, yeah. Look back at Troy's pajamas and TNG. And then also go and listen to the interviews with all of these actresses who said, no, I liked it. It felt sexy. Okay, whatever. I don't think anyone was being demeaned here. 
I mean, they were because Roddenberry was notorious for that sort of thing, but I don't think they saw it that way necessarily. And, you know, you sign on to this and, you know, how many times we see Kurt rip, run around with a ripped fallen off shirt. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then once they realized Spock was a thing in the later seasons, we kept seeing him shirtless. So, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's there. I loved in Star Trek Beyond when Kirk made the, the line in the beginning where he said, I ripped my shirt again. Absolutely. That was funny. Yeah. I liked that whole opening sequence with the gigantic aliens that turned out to be tiny. Right. That was, uh, that was awesome. But, um, <laughs> and I like more of that. I would love, I love more of that stuff in Star Trek, like the weird aliens. I, I felt like the, the Berman shows, uh, kind of got a little sidetracked with uh, Michael Westmore, aliens like it was just everyone was just humanoid with bumps yeah um not that he's not an imaginative awesome you know creator because westmore i I couldn't have done all the stuff westmore did coming up with new different kinds of bumps every week yeah (laughs) but these um yeah i mean yeah it was stupid the way they they brought in the alice eve bit like the original series they would actually bring in um they they would be a little schlocky in in that way, kind of show some skin, but they did it a little more organically um, than they did in in Into Darkness here. Um, so there's that. I, I don't know. I they had issues like like McCoy running around talking about how Kirk's vitals were still off, and that never got resolved. There was the magic triple, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like. Yeah. All, and whatever their their version of homage totally just looked like plagiarism. Um, it wasn't earned, and I think that's like the biggest issue with Into Darkness is it wasn't earned. I loved seeing Section Thirty One again. I loved Peter Weller. He was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> he he's always awesome. Talking about a guy who played Batman <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the dark knight returns movie uh, yeah so yeah that's that's a good one um (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i was fine with all that it was just like it was like i was watching it and like when i first watched it i was like oh that was awesome and then like 20 minutes later i was like that was terrible (laughs) yeah what are you talking about dave why did you like that because it was star trek well you were wrong okay (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I didn't want it to be con. There was no reason for it to be con. It was, and except that it was, was the second one in there. <laughs> yeah, and they, wanted, they wanted it since it was the second one. They wanted to hit those same notes, and you know. yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. I like on Star Trek message boards. I've been pushing the idea that um, uh, what's his name, um, Cumberbatch. No, um, it's a guy that's not in Star Trek. Oh. It's uh, it's an actor. Um, who was in, um, what was, what was his name? The guy that was in, um, I can't remember the name of the movie. <laughs> the, the movie about the wine tasters with, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Oh yeah. You're talking about, um, Giovanni. Yeah. Paul Giovanni. There Paul Giovanni. Yeah. yeah. I think he should play Harry Mudd. Yeah, that would be good. They should be, they should do that and actually make him like a really like messed up spy, a space pirate type of character. And, you know, Star Trek fans on the message boards always kind of rail on me for that. They're like, what? No, why would we want Harry Mudd? I'm like, no, a good Harry Mudd. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can see it maybe as maybe as the B plot in the in the story yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say like for an A plot, but yeah, yeah he should be there helping whatever whatever bad guys running around. Yeah. But you know, I hate bad guys that know they're bad guys and don't care. Like I would rather see someone who was and I think that's what we got in to some degree in in beyond was someone who was broken and felt like they were wronged. But yeah, I think that's what Star Trek needs more of as far as the movies are concerned. Yeah. I understand they're not going to put a whole lot of depth into the movies at this juncture. Well, th- this this movie has not made the amount of money that they thought that it would. So I don't know what they're going to do with the with the future of the movies, but I it hasn't come out overseas yet, I don't believe. Mm. So it may it may it, it has made money. It just, you know, it's made back its budget more than yeah. that, but I don't know. I saw an article yesterday that called it a flop. It's I didn't yeah. consider it to be a flop, you know, but the drive-in theater here in town which is where I see most of my movies is not showing mm. it anymore. And they usually keep a movie for three or four weeks and, well, s- and star Trek's gone, you know? So these days, if something doesn't, I mean, just like how they've been calling Batman V Superman a flop and it made like almost $900 million. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these days, if it doesn't make break that billion dollar, what was it all for? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got to, you've got to be, you got to be the Avengers or something that, and just make huge God awful amounts of money. But <laughs> yeah, which, you know, Hey, Paramount, by the way, if you want to make a whole lot of money on Star Trek, maybe you should market it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I didn't even know that there was another another movie coming out, except for me being a Star Trek fan and going, I think they said they were going to do another movie in 2016. Hmm, wonder whatever happened to that. Aside from me just kind of knowing that it was happening and hearing that Simon Pegg was working on it and like, okay, Orsi's gone and now this, Justin Lin is coming in. Okay. But if I was just not involved, if I didn't go to Trek movie every couple of weeks, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have had any idea there was. A, I don't watch TV, not yeah. really. Yeah, I I go to Amazon Prime for all my TV shows. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't deal with TV anymore. I don't see commercials. How would I have I even known that Star Trek Beyond was a thing? They didn't market it at all. I couldn't go anywhere without seeing Batman v Superman somewhere. Right. I couldn't go anywhere without seeing Civil War. Yeah, Star Trek. Paramount has got to up their game in the marketing department. It was what five, six months before Star Trek came out that they even had a trailer. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Yeah, and then it was, and then it was a trailer that just uh, uh, played up the action scene, the action scenes, and didn't play up the the stuff that actually makes it look like Star Trek. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So then They're, you you've got you've got your your Star Trek fans. Uh, kind of turned off by the last movie, you're gonna have to show them something that's gonna prove to them that this is not the last movie. You know, this is something we're doing something else. We're pretending like that last movie didn't happen. You know, yeah. And then, and then you might be able to get them to come because a lot of them are just they're gonna wait for it to come out on DVD or Blu-ray or something. You know. Mm-hmm. But well, Star Trek has not been in a regular series run for over ten years. So what do you feel like is missing from your life because you don't have a, a new Star Trek episode to watch every week? You know, I, it was, I don't really feel like much is missing. <laughs> <laughs> um, because of, like I said, it was in, like, since DS9 went off the air in 99, it's pretty much been drips and drabs for me. 
and drips and drabs and then binge, binge, binge. Yeah. Drips and drabs, binge, binge, binge. Um, so, and like when Enterprise was on, I didn't even get to season three and four until a little while later. Um, because I was in college and I just, you know how that goes. Um, yeah. you just get weighed down with all that. And, uh, <laughs> I was working as a manager at a, at a pizza place and working like 60, 70 hours a week sometimes and going to school full time. I just fell off of, of enterprise and then had to catch up later. So I haven't gotten it weekly in a long, long, long time. So I, it hasn't, it, I don't know. Uh, I would say the, mo- the the thing that's been missing most is probably just hearing fans complain on the internet, which <laughs> since the new show has started releasing trailers and stuff, I've kind of gotten back into that and went, oh, this was awful. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I Why are the fans such jerks? <laughs> right. Well, what, are you ho- what are you hoping to get out of the new series that come, that's starting in January? I mean, we've gotten some news over the last couple of weeks about what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. But what do you think that they need to do in that series in order to get you back to the feeling that you had when you were watching TNG and Deep Space Nine and just loving those episodes? I don't think that there's a way. Um, I think that feeling is old. I think it's gone. Mm-hmm. I think I can only get that by looking at the old, uh, the old series and movies, and like the you know TOS gives me a completely different feeling than the TOS movies do. And TNG gives me a completely different feeling from that. And DS9, a different feeling. And they're all valid and good, but I don't think this is going to give me any of those feelings. And I don't want it to. Um, I don't want it to try to placate me with nostalgia the way Into Darkness did so heavily. Mm-hmm. Um I love the way that Beyond kind of threw in little things. Um, I think it's Scott Madison. I was just on his show talking about Beyond, and uh, he said he he said it was sly the way they did it, and that that was good. I didn't need to be hit over the head with references. Yeah. Um. But I think that there was something that started happening in the TNG era. Um. There was an episode called The Masterpiece Society where um, they kind of apparently, and I don't know, depending on who you ask on the writing staff, mm-hmm. <laughs> based on everything I've read, they either accidentally or not um, kind of came out with a in, uh, like a pro-life statement. <laughs> yeah. Um, with Jordy saying, you know, like, huh, in your society, the blind man who needed the visor that wound up saving your world, et cetera, et cetera, would have never been born. And people flipped out, and then Rick Berman came out and was like, oh, no one on our staff is, or I can't imagine most people on our staff would ever associate themselves with a non-choice thing. And I'm like, dude, abortion shouldn't even be, like, an issue in the future. Yeah. Like, they that should have all been figured out. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> hundreds of years ago, yeah. <laughs> hundreds of years ago. But but there were fans that were livid over that and said, like, oh, no, it should have, you know, everything should be, you know, uh, pro-choice. And it was then that I started realizing, when I read all uh, uh, up on that, after watching the show, and there were other TNG episodes that they did the same thing. Um, 
where they kind of accidentally made points like that that weren't liberal points. And then I realized, look, the original series and any good science fiction will present both sides and make you think about both sides without showing their hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not espousing any uh, particular slant. I'm I'm very middle of the road politically, honestly. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> I just like to think about things. And I like to have those those options. And I don't want it to be like on the nose. I want it to be um, allegorical. And I think that it should be allegorical. I think it should relate to us and things that are going on in our society, in our time, but also allegorical so we don't have to get angry and stop watching a TV show. Right. And, you know, making a stink over. And it's really hard in today's day and age, uh, in today's social media uh, environment and everything. So everyone's always like, oh, I'm going to have to stop watching this show because it decided this. Um, I'm worried about Discovery because they've made a big, big stink over, like, oh, our lead character is going to be a female and she's going to be a lieutenant. Well, that sounds cool. That's fine. But it doesn't sound like you have a character. It's, you have an archetype. Yeah, it sounds like they're doing something. Uh, it's more of the modern type of storytelling on television mm-hmm. where you've got just, for instance, I, I was talking about it on Facebook the other day, um, the show Quantico. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen that. I haven't, no. Okay, well, th- that show is about uh, people that are in the FBI Academy. And the the main character of the show is a cadet mm-hmm. and now her superior officers and, and everybody are in the show and they're main characters, but the show doesn't center around them. They have, they have storylines that are kind of going around them, but for the most part it's her and it deals with her personal life and it deals with her professional life trying to, to go up in the ladder and all that kind of stuff. And then, mm-hmm. the, you know, there's a lot of action and, some terrorist stuff thrown in there. And and uh, I think that kind of storytelling is what this is going to try to do. It's going to, it's going to be more of the every man. We don't necessarily have to make the captain, the main character of the show. He'll be there, mm-hmm. you know, he'll have stories about him, mm-hmm. but the show won't center around him every week, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, well, that would be interesting. This is the way they, they've talked about it. Makes it gives me pause. Yeah. Because they have said, like, oh, well, look at us. We've got a female lieutenant who isn't a captain, and she's the main character. Okay. We've also got a gay character. And they made a big stink over the fact that, look, we've got a straight white man right here who said we need a gay character. That was the first thing he said. I'm like, guys, that's tokenism. Yeah. Please just write good characters. If, they, if they're gay, they're gay. Who cares? But like, it doesn't bother me at all. Stop trying to gain credibility with tokenism. Just to, you know, give me a good story. Give me good, solid, thought-out characters who aren't just archetypes. And that's that's the and I I have liked Brian Fuller television series, and I find that I have not liked his Star Trek episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so that worries me. I love Nicholas Meyer. But, you know, this might be a Dan Aykroyd situation. After 89, Dan Aykroyd couldn't write anything good. Yeah. 
and hasn't written anything good. He's gone off the off the reservation. Yeah. So I don't know if that's that could be a situation. That could be what's going on with Nick Meyer. I don't know. I haven't seen the new show. I really want it to be good. I want it to be like Netflix Daredevil good. Yeah. Um right now they're not giving me a reason to care. And I I'm still more excited about it than any new movie, but I'm 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 already like it's starting to show me red flags is all I'm saying. I'm kind of disappointed that it takes place 10 years before TOS. I I mean yeah. I, I I'll get behind it. I'll watch it, but I was really hoping for something that was post Voyager. Since yeah. it was going to be in the prime universe, I was hoping to get back to that time period and move forward with that. But I'm, uh, I'm interested to see what they what they do design wise. Yeah. Because we, you know, we saw Enterprise and we said, you know, hey, this doesn't, this looks like it came out after the original series. Then they showed us the the back to back in through a mirror dark. It was like, okay, I can see how that would go from Enterprise to TOS. It was more of just a style shift, you know. Yeah. Um, and it actually looks cool. The inter, I mean, the, the Defiant looks way bigger than you know the old Enterprise or the NXO one. And, uh, yeah, it does look more futuristic. Okay, that will work. But here, they're going to have an entire series set 10 years before TOS. They're going to have to make stuff look crappy. <laughs> yeah. And if they don't, like, one of the things that really bothers me about the 2009 Star Trek is they show the Kelvin, which is still in the prime timeline. Mm-hmm. And the captain goes over to the Narada, and they've got this huge, like, 3d scanner of his body and his cyst is like his internal organs and stuff yeah and i'm like they didn't have that crap in the original series yeah i was talking to scott about that uh on his episode oh the the tech in the new star trek movies is way more advanced than it was in the uh in the original series Mm -hmm. and nothing that happened in the first movie would change that you know there's things that happened that change it over to an alternate universe but nothing that would right. advance the technology that much there is after the kelvin but the kelvin itself which is why i'm focusing on that yeah was way more advanced than they should have been it was way more advanced than tos it should <laughs> i like after like they've come out and said and they've talked about and then you look at the countdown comics the klingons took the narada which was a romulan ship that was outfitted with board technology mm-hmm. they took it it was from the 24th century the klingons deconstructed it starfleet had to go in like get some intel they had to like it, it was escalation they had to advance because the klingons were getting super advanced off of this 24th century technology so the Federation had to advance. So they were both like abnormally being pushed forward in technology from 24th century technology. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. But the Kelvin, like at the point of interaction with the 24th century, the Kelvin was already way more technologically advanced than the Enterprise ever was. Mm-hmm. That's my issue. Yeah, and that's what I'm worried they're going to do here. They're going to be like, "Well, they had this and this," and I'm like, "No, it's already been remastered. It's not there." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is supposed to be. If this is supposed to be the prime universe, then you've got to go back to 
actually 10 years before TOS. Don't cheat mm-hmm. and uh, and tell us, well, you know, yeah, well, maybe they did have holodecks. We just never showed it <laughs> or something right. like that. Like, Which no. they kind of they did if you count the animated series as. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I don't I don't think they count those as canon. But some of it they count as canon. A lot of it they count as canon, but not all of it. Yeah. Like some of it is like um one episode is I don't even remember what it was called. It's directly from a whole other franchise. <laughs> <laughs> like the the creatures, like the aliens they were messing with were from a completely different franchise. It was just they had that writer come in and write an episode. And I don't remember what it was. Maybe a Matheson. I don't know. But, um, yeah, no, I, I'm worried about that. Now, if they go in and they're like, okay, female lieutenant, right? That would be fine because you see how women are treated in the original series and we see how women were treated in Enterprise. Like, there was one that, like, the NX-02 was captained by a woman. In the original series, they say that women aren't allowed to be Starfleet captains. Mm-hmm. Um, you go back to Mud's women. A lot of misogyny going on. What happened? What happened between Enterprise and the original series where women suddenly... The cage! You had a woman as the first officer, mm-hmm. but he, you know... Yeah. If we ignore those parts of the cage that weren't in the menagerie, I don't think we get the I'm not used to a woman being on the bridge thing. Yeah. I think they cut that out. That's not really canon anymore. But I would love for this series to go into, like, what happened with women. Like... Why are women not a normal or a mainstay on the bridge anymore? Why can't they be captains anymore? Right. Maybe this is a story about maybe this can be the story about how that happened. Like maybe there was a uh you know, maybe there was some sort of a virus or something that was only incubated inside of women. I don't know. <laughs> some kind of war. I don't I don't know. Yeah. It's sort of like the uh I don't know, gender version of uh Battlestar Galactica not using technology. Right. Anyway, I don't know. Well, I got one more question for you. Um, mm-hmm. As a Star Trek fan, you know, we're all constantly exposed to little tidbits of philosophy and life lessons and things like that. So what do you think Star Trek did for you that made your life better? I think it, it, it really fueled my imagination. Um, it was the gateway to a lot of other science fiction and uh, a lot of other franchises and properties. It... um. Like I, I grew up in in church, so it didn't really provide like a, a moral ground for me in any in any way. That it, you know, it did. It made me think. I think that's the the primary thing I would come away with because mm-hmm. I, I was raised as a Baptist. I wouldn't call myself denominational, but I still I'm still a believer. But it did like challenge my beliefs. Like that was the first Star Trek was the first thing that I ever remember hearing that referred to the Bible as a myth. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you grow up, and uh, I, I don't know what your uh, background is with this, but... Um, I grew up Assemblies of God, so... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you sort of grow up in that bubble of, like, everyone's a believer, everyone you know is a believer, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really see much else. And then, you know, I'm watching this show, and Spock just refers to it as a myth, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So it kind of forced me to go and, like look at my own faith and I think you don't, I think there's a certain amount of, you have to, you have to be challenged to become stronger. So to look at it from 
the quote unquote scientific point of view and say like, okay, they they're calling this a myth. Why is it being referred to as a myth? Why are there people who don't believe in God? And like, it forced me to read. It forced me to like get into, you know, to look at the, you know, the old favorites of Dawkins and go into, you know, all of the, all of the philosophies that, you know, uh, denounce God and denounce, uh, that aspect of my life and decide, and it made me, you know, really think about it and decide what do I believe and what do I think about these things? Um, but it also, and it also made me realize that like, look, just because someone doesn't believe in God or doesn't have that religion, uh, doesn't mean that they're not moral and they don't have a moral center because what is Star Trek, but just giving us moral lessons all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So it really opened up my viewpoint of the world as a child, and once I started getting older, you know, uh, to look at it and say, well, like, look, I, you know, I can't have friends who aren't necessarily believers, and that's not a terrible, you know, it's not a terrible thing to be nice to people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> you, you, you grow up with, like, there are plenty of people, you know, there are plenty of people in my church who were nice to to people who didn't believe, but then there were so, plenty of them who weren't, you know. So you sort of get that back and forth, and you're like, "Well, why? Are, like, what is? What am I supposed to be thinking about all of this?" Star Trek gave me an outlet for that, and in I think helped develop my critical thinking capabilities, um, to where I can, you know, look at anything and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to actually think about this. Right. I'm not going to." fall into into line this star trek is the reason i'm i I don't fall in line with any particular political party uh (laughs) yeah because each issue deserves consideration and i'm not going to agree with you know either party completely um i'm I'm the same way yeah which is actually something I was talking about trying to get out earlier is I think Star Trek for this new show, they've got to get back to that where they're like open-minded enough to consider the conservative as well as the liberal. Yeah. You know, like look at both sides and present it. And you know what? For the love of God, please let there be conflict between the human characters. Yeah. Like the no conflict in the future thing killed Star Trek for me in a lot of ways, and I just I'm so thankful that that uh, that Bashir and and O'Brien never got that memo because they were <laughs> they were a couple of the most homophobic jerks yeah. that I've ever seen on any TV show, much less Star Trek. But they were delightful. They were some of my favorite characters. They were just so strange for all the rest of the. They just didn't fit in with the TNG humans at all. Yeah, Deep, um, Deep Space Nine was the first time that you were able to have characters that didn't like each other, you know, or yeah. that not necessarily didn't like each other, but they had differences. TNG, they never argued with each other. Mm-hmm. Not really. If you TOS, wanted. they did though. They yeah, were like they would argue, and like if you got prejudice, you leave it in your quarters. There's no place for it on the bridge, Mister. Yeah, you know, it was great. All of that was great. Like. I think the human condition, if you're going... Like, Star Trek has always prided itself, supposedly, on exploring the human condition. You've got to explore the flaws, man. Yep. you just got to. You can't say, just say, wash it away with evolution. Like, we evolved beyond this. No, you bought into your own hype, Ron <laughs> Barry. <laughs> right. 
Sorry, what were we talking about? No, <laughs> Star Trek. No. I go on tangents, man. I do that. No, I, that's pretty much all I've got. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate you being here. Do you want to, uh, you want to say anything about uh, anything else about uh, DC on screen? Um, just, I mean, we put out like anywhere from one to like nine episodes a week. So, uh, <laughs> depending, like we do reviews for all the shows that are coming on and. Um, I don't know if we're, we're going to get to it, but I, I was hoping we we're going to grab some, uh, do some reviews of some of the animated features that have come out, uh, over the last year or so. But, um, yeah, we do uh, weekly news, DC on screen.com. We get, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, uh, me and my friend Jason, we don't really, we don't get into anything religious really at all. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Uh, this is Star Trek actually ties into that for me. Yeah. So, um. And by the way, DS9 did that beautifully, towing the line between science and religion. Oh yeah, with the Bajorans, because yeah, they were a very religious, uh, religious race. Yeah, they were religious, but to everyone else, it was science. But it didn't make the the beings that any less powerful. Right. Um, I, I loved all of that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, we, me and Jason, we have a good time on the show. We 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 laugh a lot and joke around and it is not safe for work so <laughs> okay <laughs> alright well thanks for being here appreciate it thank you very much sir David C. Robertson is co-host of the DC On Screen podcast you can find his show at dconscreen.com and you can contact him on Facebook and Twitter the Prime Direction is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network it can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course on our website at CosmicPotato.com. Please be sure to leave us a review wherever you find the show. That will go a long way toward helping other people find the podcast. Every fan has a story. If you would like to come on the show and tell me the story of your Star Trek fandom, send me an email at mail at CosmicPotato.com. Remember, there are a lot of people that want to be on the show, so please be patient and I'll write back to you as soon as possible. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to look for more episodes as I continue to bring you more stories of Star Trek fans and their prime direction. was a good show i liked it was it i you know i, I worry about getting into deep-seated stuff no i mean that's that's 
what this show is about. I mean, that's, this is about what Star Trek means to you, what it's meant to your life, mm-hmm. you know, what it's brought out in you. And so, yeah, so I'm into all that. And, you know, you and I are similar in those, in those areas because like I said, I was relate, I was raised religious mm-hmm. and, um, I'm not as much anymore, you know. Like you said, I'm I'm still a believer. I know I don't go to church every Sunday and 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 all that, but Star Trek kind of did the same thing for me. It made me think more about what what I was raised believing, and mm-hmm. I'm a little more tolerant now than I was as a child because I was I was around a lot of adults when I was a kid that were not tolerant of mm-hmm. of things that I don't have a problem with now. Right, you know, if my grandfather had seen the stories that came out uh, before Star Trek Beyond came out about uh, Sulu being gay. Then mm-hmm. he then he would not have gone to see the movie, and he would have yeah. talked down to anybody that did, you know. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was like, so what? I mean, at least they're not picking a character. <laughs> at least they're not picking a character that they had already shown wasn't gay, and then making them gay just to prove a point. You know, they're. They're just taking a character that's never had anything about their sexuality, and he puts his arm around a dude. So what? You know. Well, you know, Sulu uh, in the prime timeline was straight. I don't remember. Show that. I don't remember ever seeing him romantically involved with anyone. No, but he was really attracted. I had joked with, uh, with Scott on on his show about this. I was like, we we don't really get much, but we get the fact that uh, Sulu and Chekhov are really attracted to that really big muscular Klingon woman in um in star trek five and and he was like yeah but for different reasons um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah and you know uh Kay, you know came out and said like oh i don't like it because roddenberry always made the character straight and they're just they're just suddenly making him come out of the closet now and i don't think george Takei realizes it's an alternate reality yeah so i'm like well not this sulu <laughs> yeah he can be the biggest problem i had with sulu being gay is that the, the guy that they got to play his husband was awful he was <laughs> a terrible actor and all he had to do was give reaction shots i didn't believe one of those reaction shots. right yeah <laughs> i was like what are you doing what are you reacting to <laughs> like, everyone else is terrified and you're just standing there with your mouth kind of open yeah uh, but no i <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's a lot of controversy for nothing. I thought it was kind of cool, and I agreed with Simon Pegg. I think if they just did what Takei wanted and came up with another character and just made him gay, I'm like, that's tokenism. Yeah. Please don't do that. And that's what I'm kind of worried about with Discovery here. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Just- I mean, there's enough characters there already. Don't add characters just because then you're just going to have too many characters. You know, this movie already had a lot going on. You know, you had three or four different groups of people that you were having to go back and forth and show what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to add stuff in like that just to show yeah. just to show that they're gay. You know, but but I'm I'm very worried with Discovery. Big, you know, I I hate that they just came out and just like okay, so we have to have a gay character. That's not the way you start that. Yeah, that's not the way you start with a, a character creation like. All right, well, they have to like the same sex. Well, who's the character? I don't know. Yeah. But they're going to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess if that's the way we're going about it, but I'm not happy with it. Yeah. Well, I oh, guess well. we'll see. I mean, I even before they said that, I kind of expected it just because it's it, it's something that you do in shows now. 
you sure. have you have to you you put a gay character in there, and it's fine as long as that's not all that the character is. You know, right. don't don't make it so that everything that they talk about and everything that they do is about being gay. You mm-hmm. know, if it's a, a, an officer and they just they go home, they go back to their quarters at the end of their shift, and there's a man there. You know, that's fine. Right. But don't, but don't have them, you know, everything that they do is they're checking out guys and, you know, they're making comments about this guy and that guy <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, you know. Right. I, I sincerely hope that they – that's the other big fear is, like, are, are you going to make them stereotypically gay? Like, are, you, are we going to do that too? Are we – okay. Because I'd rather them just be, like, you know, normal – like not like necessarily like I don't know just flamboyant like because TV shows do that a lot yeah where they're like oh well he's he's a gay character so he has to be flamboyant no he doesn't yeah <laughs> I know lots of gay people who aren't who aren't flamboyant well yeah t- <laughs> TV has pretty much invented that I mean they're most of the gay people that I've met in my life were not flamboyant. Like that, you know. That's I mean, I am, but I'm straight. Yeah. So. 